Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday, June 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 curated, well-curated podcasts, a wide variety of topics, definitely worth your while. Um, as my buddy Gene Clyde over at Squirrel Chatter says, guarantee you'll find something to listen to or, or double your money back. So, um, again, really a lot of great listening over there. Um, I want to continue to point you at the final two links in our show notes. The first one is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We're striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establish of a Christian classic education-based school in our community to provide a trustworthy alternative to the to parents and grandparents here. So go ahead and click on the link. It'll give you a much more thorough description from our pastor about what we're trying to do. And then we would ask you to do three things for us. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass that link along. Now, also right below it is one that's labeled Transportation for Church Planters Jollies. This is for Nathaniel Jolly and his wife. They are church planters up in Alaska. Uh, Nathaniel is a wonderful brother in Christ doing great work up there. When they moved up there a couple years ago for the church plant, they bought themselves a used vehicle to be able to handle the, the train and everything for themselves and for their church plant. Um, it is now broke down. They need about $8,000 to fix it. Nathaniel being a church planner does not pull a salary. So there's no real income in there for him to be able to fund getting it fixed. So they have a, they have a gifts and go campaign out there for that as well. Uh, again, he really needs the help. It's definitely, he's doing great work for the kingdom of God. So if you can, please support them. Again, I would ask the same three things, pray for them, prayerfully consider giving to them and pass that link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, we, we're going to be continuing through. We're going to be finishing up this last section this evening for our Bible study and finishing up John chapter eight. So God willing, tomorrow evening, we'll be moving on into John chapter nine. And I think we're going to hit another one of Jesus's miracles. I think he heals a blind man. I think that's what happens first at, first in, um, at the beginning of John chapter nine, but let's go ahead and kick off this morning doing our regular Bible reading for the day. So let's open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called true Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, the goodness, I'm sorry, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable in the works of creation. Thou art almighty in the dispensations of providence, all wise in the gospel of grace, all love, and in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction." 
Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, our morning devotion, the text for it today is from 2 Samuel 15, verse 23. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. That was when David was fleeing um, I believe it was when uh, Absalom, when Absalom rose up against him, his oldest son. All right, here we go. David passed that gloomy brook when flying with his mourning company from his traitor's son. The man after God's own heart was not exempt from trouble. Nay, his life was full of it. He was both the Lord's anointed and the Lord's afflicted. Why then should we expect to escape? At sorrow's gates, the noblest of our race have waited with ashes on their heads. Wherefore then should we complain as though some strange thing had had happened unto us? Sorry, the king of kings himself was not favored with a more cheerful or royal road. He passed over the filthy ditch of Kidron, through which the filth of Jerusalem flowed. God had one son without sin, but not a single child without the rod. It is a great joy to believe that Jesus has been tempted in all points like as we are. What is our Kidron this morning? Is it a, is it a faithless friend? a sad bereavement, a slanderous reproach, a dark foreboding. The king has passed over all these. Is it bodily pain, poverty, persecution, or contempt? Over each of these kidrons, the king has gone before us. In all our afflictions, he was afflicted. The idea of strangeness in our trials must be banished at once and forever. For he who is the head of all saints knows by experience the grief which we think so peculiar. All the citizens of Zion must be free of the honorable company of mourners, of which the Prince Emmanuel is head and captain. Notwithstanding the abasement of David, he yet returned in triumph to his city, and David's Lord arose victorious from the grave. Let us then be of good courage, for we also shall win the day. We shall yet with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation, though now for a season we have to pass by the noxious streams of sin and sorrow. Courage, sol- courage, soldiers of the cross. The king himself triumphed after going over Kidron, and so shall you. All right, well, our reading for the day, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take some coffee here real quick. Uh, for the day is going to be First Kings 12, verse 20 through 1 Kings 13, all of that. Acts 9, verse 26 through 43. Um, so that's the end of the chapter. Psalm 132 and Proverbs 17, verse 6. I'm going to take me some coffee here. And I got to admit, that is actually the uh, Black Rifle Beyond Black. Um, very, very dark roast um, and caffeinated. Uh, I know I'd been trying not to not to drink caffeinated, but oh, it's just so good. And sometimes it's necessary. All right. First Kings 12, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. 
Then Rehoboam came to Jerusalem and assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who could wage war to fight against the house of Israel to return the kingdom of, to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says Yahweh, You shall not go up and fight against your brothers, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of Yahweh and returned to go their way according to the word of Yahweh. Then Jeroboam built Shishim in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and one he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places, and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam made a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, to sacrifice to the calves which he had made. And he had the priests of the high places which he had made stand in Bethel. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he made a feast for the sons of Israel, and went up to the altar to burn incense." 1 Kings 13. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of Yahweh, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar by the word of Yahweh and said, O altar, altar, thus says Yahweh, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Josiah is his name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a miraculous sign the same day, saying, This is the miraculous sign which Yahweh has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn apart, and the ashes, ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now it happened that when the king heard the word of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar, according to the miraculous sign which the man of God had given by the word of Yahweh. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat Yahweh your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated Yahweh, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of Yahweh, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way, and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and recounted to him all the work which the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken to the king, these also they recounted to their father. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons had seen the way which the man of God, who came from Judah, had gone. 
Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode away on it. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a word came to me by the word of Yahweh, you shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of Yahweh saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he dealt falsely with him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they were sitting down at the table that the word of Yahweh came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he called out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says Yahweh, because you have rebelled against the word of Yahweh and have not kept the commandment which Yahweh your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. Now it happened after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him for the prophet whom he had brought back. Then he went and on the way a lion met him and put him to death and his body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body and behold men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and spoke about it in the city where the old prophet lived. Then the prophet who brought him back from the way heard it and said, It is the man of God who rebelled against the command of Yahweh. Therefore Yahweh has given him to the lion, which has mauled him and put him to death, according to the word of Yahweh which he spoke to him. Then he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and to bury him. He laid his body in his own grave and they mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. Now it happened after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying, When I die, you shall bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the word shall surely happen, which he cried by the word of Yahweh against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but he returned and made priests of the, of the high places from among all the people, any who delighted to be so he ordained. So they became priests of the high places. And this event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. All right. Acts 9 verse 26. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and recounted to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was having peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. And in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it continued to multiply. Now it happened that as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there there he found a man named Aenas. 
Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. Immediately he rose up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they returned, I'm sorry, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Now since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, pleading with him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, crying and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it happened that he stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Psalm 132, A Song of Ascents Remember, O Yahweh, on David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to Yahweh and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not come into my house, nor lie in the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for Yahweh, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us come into his dwelling place. Let us worship at the footstool of his feet. Arise, O Yahweh, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your holy ones sing for joy. For the sake of David your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Yahweh has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. For Yahweh has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will inhabit, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her holy ones will sing loudly for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring up. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon him his crown shall blossom. Finally, Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the beauty of sons is their fathers. All right. Well, that is our reading for the morning segment. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called Humility in Service. Let's pray. Mighty God, I humble myself for faculties misused, opportunities neglected, words ill-advised. I repent of my folly and inconsiderate ways, my broken resolutions, untrue service, my backsliding steps, my vain thoughts. O bury my sins in the ocean of Jesus' blood, and let no evil result from my fretful temper. Unseemly behavior, provoking pettiness, if, if by unkindness I have wounded or hurt another, do thou pour in the balm of heavenly consolation. If I have turned coldly from need, misery, grief, do not in just anger forsake me. If I have withheld relief from penury and pain, do not withhold thy gracious bounty from me. 
If I have shunned those who have offended me, keep open the door of thy heart to my, to my need. Fill me with an overflowing ocean of compassion, the reign of love my motive, the law of love my rule. O thou, God of all grace, make me more thankful, more humble. Inspire me with a deep sense of my unworthiness, arising from the depravity of my nature, my omitted duties, my unimproved advantages, thy commands violated by me. With all my calls to gratitude and joy, may I remember that I have reason for sorrow and humiliation. O give me repentance unto life. Submit my oneness with my blessed Lord, that faith may adhere to him more immovably, that love may entwine itself round me more tightly, that his spirit may pervade every fiber of my being. Then send me out to make him known to my fellow men. Amen. All right. Well, again, that is our program for this morning. Again, I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, June 14th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible study in the Gospel of John for this evening segment. We will be wrapping up in John chapter 8, finishing up this section about Jesus confronting his enemies. Um, So God willing, we'll be picking up tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening, uh, digging into John chapter 9. So we're, we're progressing along. I know it's not blazingly fast, but we're progressing along. Um, I hope we are, we are thoroughly or at least reasonably thoroughly. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only a so-so theologian and a so-so expositor. So I would imagine we're only so-so covering the, the matter. I'm sure we could all find better. Um, but I, I hope it's continuing to, it's, it's, well, I hope it is edifying and equipping you spending this time in the word with me on the evening. And I'm very, very grateful for those who are doing so, uh, no whether no matter where you're coming from, um, definitely very, very appreciative of it. All right. So let's go ahead and open up the evening segment with a prayer continuing from Valley of Vision. This one is called the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, father of Jesus, Help me to approach thee with deepest reverence, not with presumption, not with servile fear, but with holy boldness. Thou art beyond the grasp of my understanding, but not beyond that of my love. Thou knowest that I love thee supremely, for thou art supremely adorable, good, perfect. My heart melts at the love of Jesus, my brother, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, married to me, dead for me, risen for me. He is mine and I am his, given to me as well as for me. I am never so much mine as when I am his, or so much lost to myself until lost in him. Then I find my true manhood, but my love is frost and cold, ice and snow. Let his love warm me, lighten my burden, be my heaven. May it be more revealed to me in all its influences, that my love to him may be more fervent and glowing. Let the mighty tide of his everlasting love cover the rocks of my sin and care. Then let my spirit float above those things which had else wrecked my life. Make me fruitful by living to that love, my character becoming more beautiful every day. If traces of Christ's love love artistry be upon me, may he work on with his divine brush until the complete image be obtained and I be made a perfect copy of him, my master. 
O Lord Jesus, come to me. O Divine Spirit, rest upon me. O Holy Father, look on me in mercy for the sake of the well-beloved. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion, the text for it is from Psalm 103.3, who healeth all thy diseases. Humbling as is the statement, yet the fact is certain, that we are all more or less suffering under the disease of sin. What a comfort to know that we have a great physician who is both able and willing to heal us. Let us think of him a while tonight. His cures are very speedy. There is life in a look at him. His cures are radical. He strikes at the center of the disease, and hence his cures are sure and certain. He never fails, and the disease never returns. There is no relapse where Christ heals, no fear that his patients should be merely patched up for a season. He makes new men of them, a new heart also does he give them, and of right spirit does he put within them. He is well skilled in all diseases. Physicians generally have some specialty. Although they may know a little about almost all our pains and ills, there is usually one disease which they have studied above all others. But Jesus Christ is thoroughly acquainted with the whole of human nature. He is as much at home with one sinner as with another, and never yet did he meet with an out-of-the-way case that was difficult to him. He has had extraordinary complications of strange diseases to deal with, but he has known exactly with one glance of his eye how to treat the patient. He is the only universal doctor, and the medicine he gives is the only true catholicon, healing in every instance. Whatever our spiritual malady may, may be, we should apply at once to this divine physician. There is no brokenness of heart which Jesus cannot bind up. His blood cleanseth from all sin. We have but to think of the myriads who have been delivered from all sorts of diseases throughout the power and virtue of his touch, and we shall joyfully put ourselves in his hands. We trust him, and sin dies. We love him, and grace lives. We wait for him, and grace is strengthened. We see him as he is, and grace is perfected forever. All right, well, we are going to be getting into our, uh, continuing our study in John chapter 10, or John chapter 8, excuse me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I want to back back up. Um, uh, let's see, which one of you guys, uh, yeah, God, here's the words of God, but Jews answered. So okay, so um, I'm going to go ahead and back up to John 8, verse 48. I'm going to read the entirety of this Jesus confronts his enemies section, and then we'll get into our Bible study. But I just want to, I, I want to do that and back up so we get the whole context here because we're wrapping up the chapter today. So again, this is the end of Jesus's discourse and engagement with the, with these, um, leaders at this feast or at and after this feast of booths, feast of tabernacles. So John 8, verse 48 through the end of the chapter. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death ever. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So again, we, we've continued here. I've talked about it before. We saw in John 5 and 6, this was which was the Passover prior to these verses, so six months prior, where Jesus engages and goes back and forth. Um, and we, we see even that kind of, um, that seemingly impromptu trial where Jesus defends himself and calls um calls witnesses, even calls, basically calls witnesses. That section about witnesses calls John the Baptist, um, calls his own works, calls God himself, and then calls the scriptures themselves, which, which the, you know, he makes clear, he goes, Hey, you, you dive into the scriptures to try to get eternal life. It's these themselves that speak of me trying to make clear the things you claim to revere, the things you claim to study, the things you claim to be experts in I'm there and they speak of me. So why are you having such a problem with me? So that was John five and six. Well, then we got to John seven and eight and Jesus has gone back to Jerusalem. He's done some stuff. He's been up in Galilee for about six months and he comes back to Jerusalem. He didn't come at the beginning of the beginning. Remember that we, he didn't come at the beginning of the, of the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles. He came about midway through. And then we have John seven and eight. And again, Jesus ends up going back and forth. He ends up teaching there and the Jewish leadership comes out. And and if you remember, when he was initially teaching there, and, and we don't know for sure that as we get all the way through eight that he's still teaching there, but, but what we see in John 7 is that he is teaching there in the women's court. Um, so there's the outer court, which is the, the court of the Gentiles, then the next court in, which is the court of the women, which is one of the busiest courts, and then the court of the men, which is the more inner court. Now, please understand, so basically they, they were, they were permissive courts. So the court of the men, only the men could be in the court of the women, the men and the women, Jewish men and women could be in the court of the Gentiles. Everybody could be in. So, so again, it's in the court of the women. So all the Jews could come in there and that had a tendency to be where some of the, um, special feast focused gatherings were things that were specific to the feast celebrations. Um, they did a light celebration there, um, during the feast of tabernacle, I think it was during the feast of tabernacles, um, that, that was supposed to be in memory of the column of cloud and the column of light that led them through the desert. And, and so, so they do stuff and that would happen in the women's court. So Jesus is in there and actually he's by the treasury, um, which wasn't a big building. It was the fact there were 13, um, if I remember right, trumpet shaped boxes, um, where people would come and drop their money in. And the different, the, the reason there were 13 is they were all for different things with the ministry, different things for the temple. You'd come and drop your ministry or your money in the ones you wanted to support. So he's over near there. Well, the interesting thing about that is that's very close to where the Sanhedrin is within voice range of where the Sanhedrin is. And that's where Jesus is teaching. So needless to say, these guys, you know, even if they, even if they can't hear him in the building of the Sanhedrin, they're going back and forth past him to get in and out of there. So they've heard him. So we end up with this, again, this discourse, this confrontation between them and Jesus. 
And we saw that at the beginning of our verse and the beginning of what we saw in this section. So we had gone through the section where, um, and, and there was a number of them um, that, that we've seen here in John chapter eight. Um, we saw the section back uh, verses 22 through 30, how to die in your sin. And we see very clearly that this Jewish leadership, they're self-righteous, they're worldly, they're unbelieving, and they're willfully ignorant. They're willfully ignorant. And then we saw Jesus come back with, hey, the truth will make you free. And so we saw the pathway to freedom. But then we saw the Jewish leadership's pretense to freedom that they claimed to be free, but they weren't. The fact is they're, they're slaves of sin. They're slaves of Satan. And Jesus makes that clear. But then we see the promise of freedom that even in the face of that, even in the face of the way they're acting, he offers them that freedom of the truth, that the truth will truly make you free, that the truth of the salvation, the truth of Christ, the truth of God's word would make them free. But then we went into verses 37 through 47, which are the verses prior to this section we're wrapping up today, which which MacArthur called the children of Abraham or Satan. And we saw there that the... Um, the Jewish leadership sitting there. Now, of course, Jesus at the beginning acknowledges that, you know, they try to make the claim that they're physical children of Abraham. And that's true. And Jesus acknowledges that, except the fact he makes very, very clear that so what? The fact is, it doesn't make a difference. It's just like um, people in our day and age, and, and I told you this at the time, but people in our day and age try to go, well, I rose up, I, 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 I was raised up in a Christian household and we always went to church. Yeah. So. I mean, that's great, but that doesn't make you saved. That doesn't bring you to salvation. It has nothing to do with that. So again, he makes clear that just because you're a physical child of Abraham means nothing. I mean, John the Baptist was said clearly to them as he was baptizing um, across the Jordan, said, you know, don't sit there and talk to me about how you're children of Abraham. The fact is God can turn these rocks into children of Abraham, making clear that that had no bearing. Well, then they claim to be Abraham's spiritual children, and Jesus makes very, very clear, no, they're not. If they were, they would behave differently. They would behave as Abraham behaved. Um, and then they claim to be the children of God, and he also pointed out, no, you're not, because if you were, you would honor me because God has honored me, has been honoring me, and you are not. So we hit this last section, that Jesus confronts his enemies, verse 48 through 59, that I read previously here this evening. And we initially saw the dishonor of it where they turn around and call him a Samaritan and a demon and that he has a demon. And let's be clear. They, they're clearly dishonoring him and he really calls them out on that. Um, but the fact is we've, we've got to think about it. Um, and again, I tried to explain it before and I don't know how good I was at explaining it, but them call it, it, in, in our world, we sit there and go, they called him a Samaritan. So what? That was just somebody else that lived in the area. No, 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 no. Believe me, I could not, I cannot on here, nor, nor would I, I wouldn't put these words in my mouth. Would I be able to utter the kind of curse that them calling a Samaritan was? I won't use that language on the air. I won't use it in public. Actually, I won't use it in private either. What it would take to get, to say something similar to what they're saying by calling him a Samaritan. Okay. And then they went on to say that he had a demon because they disagreed with what he was saying. They, they were in blatant disagreement with this. 
that with what he was saying. So that was the dishonor. And then we hit the section verses 52 through 58, which was the doubting. And they, you know, they proceed, they start that out with, now we know that you have a demon um, because he had said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death ever. And, and again, they, they completely misunderstood. And, and, and in a lot of cases, I, I, I don't know that this is fact. The Bible doesn't say, but for me, it feels like it's willful misunderstanding. It's like they're misunderstanding what he's saying on purpose. They took verse 51. My, if, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death ever. They think he means the physical death. And I think it's an intentional because that fits the agenda. And we've seen that in our own word world. And maybe that's what colors my thought. Maybe that really wasn't where that was coming from. Maybe they really were just so totally ignorant of it, but it feels like willful ignorance. I could be wrong. So, so just letting you know that, but they continue to go, what are you talking about? You know, um, and there's the back and forth with Jesus. Well, they continue to completely misunderstand. And we have in verse 58, Jesus's final statement here in John chapter eight. And it is, it is a hard hitter. He makes clean, clean declaration here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was I am. And I made clear to you, this was before Abraham was ego aimi, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am God. He's making very, very clear. I am God incarnate. So we get to this last verse and we've got two sections here. So, so basically what we're talking about tonight is the defiance and the disappearance. First half of the verse is the defiance. Second half of the verse is the disappearance. So first half of verse 59, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. Okay. Um, and, and this isn't the only time they ever do it. Um, John 10 verse 30 I and the Father are one. I'm sorry. He says, I and the Father are one, making clear. And this is John 10. So this couple chapters later, he makes another statement. This is basically the same thing. I and the Father are one. So he's proclaiming himself as God. So verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. We also see it in Luke 4, 29. He's in Nazareth here, and he's been preaching to them. And they stood up and drove him out of the city and led him to the edge of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. So here's three different times they've explicitly, even before the crucifixion, that they've tried to kill him. So what's going on here? Jesus has repeatedly, repeatedly provided them evidence that he is God incarnate. God himself has provided the evidence. John the Baptist, who they seem to agree is a is a true prophet of God, the first that they've heard in over 400 years speaking from God, has proclaimed that this is the Christ, the Son of God. His own miracles, which they've not seen in all that time and didn't really even see other than very briefly from a few very specific people, God working through them, even in the Old Testament. So all of that attests to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And they are so unwilling to respond to it. And, and really, as MacArthur says about it, there really are only two ways to respond to something like that in that day and now. 
either you believe and are saved, brought to a saving faith in Christ, or you don't and you react violently. You don't and you react strongly in a negative manner as we see them do. Again, I've said before, I mean, even at this point, you know, in verse 58, he says clearly, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He, he again, even in that statement is telling them, I am God, giving them the opportunity, worship me, believe my, as he had said before, um, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death ever. He's made very, very clear that, that the way to salvation is to keep his word but they won't. They would rather respond and they would rather attack him. And again, they're, they're attacking him because they claim he is blaspheming because he's saying he's God. Now, now the fact is we, we, I I've talked about it repeatedly. And I mean, I know I'm beating a, a, a horse, beating, beating a dead horse here. But the fact is, like I said, they've had more than enough evidence to make clear that he is God. I mean, the fact is it's like, does God, does, did God really have to come down? I mean, God, the father come down and knock them around like bowling pins or something to go, Hey dummies, this is God. This is God incarnate. Did he really? I mean, there was so much evidence, so much blatant evidence that they, as the experts in the scriptures in the experts of God's law and God's word, should have should have been dancing in the streets from day one. The Messiah is here. The Son of God is here. The Christ, worship him. But they won't. They would rather lash out. They would rather kill him because it doesn't fit what they want it to be. It doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't fit their agenda. It doesn't fit their power structure. It doesn't fit the 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 accolades they want it doesn't fit the power that they want to hang on to because he's called them out repeatedly that the that what they are doing and the way they are worshiping god is wrong so they would rather strike out than believe they they are basically attacking god they are attacking god because they claim that god is blaspheming against god do you hear how stupid that sounds? That's exactly what's going on here. And that's the ridiculousness of it. And so as much as I was talking about, you know, last night um, and have it for a couple nights, you know, we saw there again in verse 58, he, he tells them clearly the way to salvation, that he is God. So it's clear that they've got to believe in him. I mean, duh. They're given the way to salvation. But they choose to turn away. And as, as MacArthur speaks of it in his commentary, they've chosen the road to hell. They've chosen the road to hell. Now, I, we don't, I don't have anything biblically that says each specific person here was apostate, was given over. But it sure sounds like it for them. I mean, they already d reacted this way here. They do it again in, in chapter 10, and then they crucify him down the road you know, six months later at the next Passover. Sounds, sounds like they're given over to me. I could be wrong. And again, and it's not, it's not necessarily critical to this, but look at the response. Uh, 
this is the response of the unbeliever. They want to lash out and destroy instead of believe and love and, and repent and be humble. So what is, what is, so that's, that's the defiance. So for the second half of the verse, we see the disappearance, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Um, actually literally the Greek there is, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple was hidden. Again, it's not yet his time. Six more months before the crucifixion comes six more months for it to work out. It needs to be at the Passover. There's a reason because he is the Passover lamb. He is the final Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it's not time yet for him to be put to death. It's not time yet. There's more yet to do. Remember, we, we talked about it, um, I think it was back in chapter seven, the divine timetable. We've got that divine timetable, um, which was why he didn't come up at the beginning of this feast. He came up partway through, halfway through. He's following the divine timetable. He's following God's timetable. Things have to happen a certain way. We even saw that in uh, John 2, dealing with his mother at the at the wedding feast. She's, she's turning to him to do something. He's like, woman, it's not yet my time. Making clear, it's not yet God's time for me to manifest the big things. Now he does go on and she knows he's going to, he goes on and does something, not, not because she coerced him, but because here's the start of his ministry. But again, he's going by God's timetable timetable, and it's not yet time. Uh, we even saw that Luke, you know, I read you Luke four verse 29 and they tried to back him up to the, to the edge of the, um, the edge of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Well, Luke four verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went on his way. Um, let's be clear. If that whole group of people went to push him off the cliff and, and he passed through their midst, he did that supernaturally. That, that was not him being, being some, um, NFL running back, doing some broken field running, breaking his way through those people. He passed through them supernaturally and went on his way. So this isn't the first time. Um, but again, he's able to move through them. And I'm and, and in John 10, I'm sure um, there's a way when they went to pick up the stones. Actually, in that case, I think he actually responds to them verbally and goes, I've done a miracle. Why are you wanting to stone me? And they say, we're not doing it because of that. We're doing it because you're blaspheming. Of course, again, because he's blaspheming, except he's not. It's God blaspheming God about being God. Uh, you, you know, again, you hear how stupid that is, but again, that's his disappearance. It's not time yet. And Jesus, even in that hides himself and went out of the temple, hides himself. Th this temple, as large as it is, and as large as this women's court is, and as many people are there, as many of them know Jesus by this point, this isn't just him turning and walking away. He supernaturally left the temple. It's not yet his time, but even in that, in leaving the temple, he manifested the power of creation. He manifested the power of God. He again clearly showed that he was God incarnate, that he was Christ, the son of God. So I have to ask, I have to, I have to say, and I have to think about this. 
that are you and I, I mean, we would hope that if we're believers, we're not responding like this Jewish leadership. And I know it's really easy to say, no, man, I I don't respond like that. That doesn't apply to me. And it's really easy to read those verses and go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting story and blow them off. Okay, yeah, maybe you and I are picking up rocks to throw it, throw at Christ. But do we truly react as if he's the Christ, the son of God? Do we truly put him in the right place and honor him correctly as the Messiah? Or do we behave in some ways like these, like this Jewish leadership? Do we let ourselves get pulled around so much by the world and let those things take precedence in our lives to where we don't truly stand in awe when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego eimi. What an amazing thing to be said. And what an amazing thing that ought to just knock us to our knees and, and, and leave us floored and in true awe and respect of a thrice holy God. That he would send his son to deal with all of this that we've read about through John 5 through 8 and more is going to come to bring us to salvation to provide a way to salvation. How amazing is that? So again, we truly, as we go through this gospel of John, we've got to know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, not in an intellectual way, but in a soul deep heart changing way. So that in coming to saving faith, we would have eternal life. That is critical for you and I. All right, let's go ahead and close up with prayer. We're going to close up with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God all sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked and undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, well, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless. (music) 